Well, I hope that you've had an enjoyable weekend so far. I know last weekend was just absolutely gorgeous. Uh, repeat this week, and I'm just glad that you're here today, and uh, we, we believe that God has a word for us today. Believe it or not, I want you to turn in your Bibles for one more time to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Some of you are saying, man, uh, we, are we stuck in 1 Corinthians chapter 7? This is the fourth week that we've been preaching from here, uh, but I promise you today we're finished in, in, chapter, four, in chapter 7. And uh, as we continue through the book of 1 Corinthians, we're going to see all kinds of uh, things continue to emerge. Uh, so far in chapter 7, we saw really it's a churn in the book uh, or in, in the letter written to the Corinthian church. At this point, Paul is answering questions about uh, marriage and about singleness, about divorce, about being widowed. Um, and then later, he's going to talk, uh, answer questions about being, food sacrificed to idols, rites of an apostle, communion, the Lord's Supper, and then we're going to get to the great uh, passages in chapter 12 and in chapter 14 talking about spiritual gifts. And we've got a lot to look forward to through the summer and then into the fall, uh, I'm sure. But the reason that Paul was writing this letter to the Corinthian church was, number one, he loved them very much. He, had, he cared about the people there in Corinth. He had given his heart and his life. He had planted that church. But at this point, there was a lot of confusion in the church. A lot of questions were emerging. And a lot of the questions were based around the culture that the people were living in. There was a tendency to undervalue marriage and physical intimacy in the culture. And that was sneaking into the church. There was questions about spirituality in regards to celibacy, and there, there was some confusion. So there's questions saying, should a single person get married? Should parents allow their daughters to be married? Some, uh, some would be actually even asking the question, if I'm married for the sake of the gospel so I can serve God better, should I get a divorce? And Paul is saying, no, 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 no. And he's writing to the Corinth. He's saying, look, there's some instructions here from God's word. Now, I want to remind you that Corinth, you say, man, how could they get it all mixed up like this? Well, Corinthian church was full of former pagans, people that had given their hearts to the Lord, uh, but that had turned their, uh, from, their, from their past, which is awesome. And that's what the church should be. But they were bringing their worldly ideas into the church. And by the way, we do that a whole lot today. And whether you know it or we don't, uh, we, our ideas from the world can kind of sneak in to church culture. And we want to be careful against that. Well, today we're going to uh, continue to cover ground in chapter 7. We've, uh, uh, I just want to encourage you, if you've missed any of these weeks, they're all online. We want to encourage you to stay up to, up to speed. And if you're on vacation or away uh, on a certain Sunday, you can catch it. We post those on Tuesdays, and I want to encourage you to do that. But today, we're going to tackle verses 25 through 40, which is a lot to cover. But the focus today is on singleness. Everyone say single. And we're going to talk about the reasons for remaining single, the benefits of being single today. And some of you are saying, well, I'm not single. Uh, maybe today's message is not for me. Well, I want you to know that when it's God's Word, the whole counsel of God's Word is for us, including the passage that we're about to, to read and to explore. But I also want you to know 
uh, that if you're not single today and you're married, you're in a relationship, uh, or if you're married, I, I believe that today's message may be used in your life through your own lips to be able to share some of the truth of what we're going to share today to bring insight into someone else's life. Uh, maybe a student, young or old, because this is God's Word. And, uh, and I just believe that God wants to speak through His Word today in regards to this. Before we read chapter 7, uh, I want to just uh, take a quick survey. How many here this morning, by a show of hands, are single here today? And that's young people. Old. Okay, so we've got a good amount of singles here today. The rest are in relationship or uh, married. And uh, as we look at chapter 7... Uh, what is happening here is Paul is building a New Testament understanding of singleness, how to manage sexuality and self-control. In chapter 6, he had already brought a whole theology of the body. We got through that. And I just want to remind you before we read these verses, starting in 25, that already in chapter 7, Paul has talked about singleness on many occasions. In chapter 7, verse 1, he said, it is good for a man not to marry. That word good means beneficial. It's the word talos in, uh, in the Greek. In verse 7, uh, we saw that singleness is a gift from, the, from God, and it's a gift for some. Some, some God gives one gift uh, to others, another gift, but singleness is one of those gifts that God will give. And, uh, but what I want you to also realize before we tackle this is that nowhere in the New Testament is singleness recommended for those who have an absence of sexual desire, which some people uh, believe, well, if, I don't, if, I'm not, you know, if I don't have a sexual desire, maybe I should be single. No. Or an absence of desire to be married. Say, I don't want to be married. Does that mean you should be single? Not necessarily. Or an absence of a desire for companionship. You say, I, I don't need anybody, so I must, God, you know, I must need to be single. No, that's not the, true, the truth. Um, it's not reserved. Singleness is not reserved for these things. What we're going to see today is that singleness is driven by the call of God on one's life. It all comes back to what is God speaking to you as an individual. So, so some would say, well, I have, on the flip side, well, I have sexual passion, so I should get married. And we're going to, you, you may read this text and, and even pick up on that a bit, but that's not necessarily true. Singleness is about mission for life, what God has called you to do, being under God's direction being fully committed to the Lord. And it's a calling so strong for those that are called or that gift of singleness is given that you would forego being married to serve the Lord to the fullest. And that's what I believe Paul is trying to get across as we look at these verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. So without further ado, I want you to stand and uh, we're going to read a a few, a few verses here. It's a little bit lengthy passage, but you can bear, bear along with me. It's starting in verse 25, it says this, Now about virgins, I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Because of the present crisis, I think that it is good for you to remain as you are. Are you married? Do not seek divorce. Are you unmarried? Do not seek or do not look for a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if you, 
uh, and if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life. And I want to spare you of this. What I mean, brothers, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they have none. Those who mourn as if they did not. Those who are happy as if they were not. Those who buy something as if it's not theirs to keep. Those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed by them. For this world is its present form is passing away. In its present form is passing away. Verse 32, I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affair, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife, and his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or a virgin is concerned about the Lord's affair. Her aim is to be devoted to God in both body and spirit. But a man or married woman Uh, is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I am saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in an undivided devotion to the Lord. Verse 36, if anyone thinks he is uh, acting improperly towards a virgin he is engaged to, and if she is getting along in years and feels he ought to marry, he should do what he wants. He is not sinning. They should get married. But the man who has settled the matter in his own mind, who is under no compulsion but has control over his own will, and who has made up in his mind not to marry the virgin, this man also does the right thing. So then, he who marries the virgin does right, but he who does not marry her does even better. Verse 39, a woman is bound to her husband as long as as he lives, but If her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes, but he must belong to the Lord. In my judgment, she is happier if she stays as she is, and I think that I, too, have the Spirit of God. Everyone take a big breath. And we're going to get through this in a timely fashion, I promise. But we need God to bless His Word. So, Lord, we just honor You. We thank You for Your Word. And we ask, Lord, that You would speak through your word very clearly help us to discern what you would want us to to discern and to to be able to get some takeaways uh, from these verses. We pray it all in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. You can be seated this morning. As we track through these verses, we're going to look at three advantages or three benefits to singleness, and we're going to dive right into the first one, Number one advantage is that singles encounter less distress in times of crisis. It's not about being super spiritual, but Paul's saying, yes, there's benefit to being single, and it comes because there's less distress in times of crisis. Let's look at verse 25. Um, This is what it says. It says, now about virgins. Now we'll pause right there. There are commentators that, that kind of argue or kind of debate about who are the virgins here. Was, was Paul responding to a specific family, a specific instance? Um, was it for unmarried women only? Or was it for fathers seeking to give their, their uh, daughters away? I believe as we look at Scripture in its entirety, it's very appropriate to say now about men and women 
who are not currently married. All right, so that's how we're going to view this. Men and women who are not married. And then it says, I have no command from the Lord, but I give judgment as one by the Lord's mercy that I am trustworthy. So no command from the Lord. What Paul is saying, and he said this before, that Jesus did not talk about this when he was walking on earth, or at least it wasn't recorded in Scripture. But the Lord did lay what, he, what we're about to study on Paul's heart. It's not less authoritative because of that statement. It's all God's Word. It's all powerful. And Paul is saying, look, I am trustworthy. You can count on me. You can trust me that I've heard from the Lord in regards to singleness. What we see here as we go through here are some guidelines, some advantages uh, not commands. It is not, Paul, nowhere in Scripture, nowhere in Scripture would say that, yes, you must do this or that in regards to marriage or uh, singleness. And so we want to lay that out. Let's look at it. It says, so now about virgins, I have no command from the Lord, but I give you, uh, I give a judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Verse 26, because of this present crisis, I think that it is good for you to remain as you are. What kind of present crisis is going on in Corinth? That word there means severe pressure or distress. Uh, What kind of events? Is he talking about end times or that Jesus is coming soon? The end of the world or uh, there was people in that day that thought there was going to be this destruction of the world? Was it famine or was it persecution? And most commentators believe that, that this is likely a reference to the growing persecution among Christians that they were facing in Corinth and all over uh, as Christianity was, uh, was really growing by leaps and bounds. By the way, that persecution would last for 300 years. And Paul is saying, look, in light of this present crisis, I think you should remain as you are. And for any of those reasons, Paul would say, look, stay as you are. There's less distress in times of crisis. Just real practically, if the church is being persecuted, if a family is being persecuted, let's say you're the man of the house and you have a family to feed and then you're fed to the lions because of your walk with the Lord, which by the way happened over and over What happens to your wife? What happens to your family? There was no social security in that day, no life insurance. What if you were to lose your job and you have kids or bills to pay? Or if you had to relocate? He's saying it's easier by and large and it's less, there's less to think about if you were single. Verse 27. So he says, Are you married? Do not seek a divorce. We talked about that before. Are you unmarried? Do not look for a wife. Don't seek divorce, even though it's true that you'd be less, there's less uh, uh, distress in time of crisis if you were by yourself. You say no. And then verse 28a, it's very interesting. He says, but if you do marry, and he's really talking about uh, those engaged at this point, uh, those that not are bound already, but he's saying, look, don't break the engagement. He says, but if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if, you, and if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. So Paul is recognizing that this question of marriage lies totally outside of the category of sin. 
It's not sinful to marry. It's not sinful to remain single. But he does get the point across that there's less distress in crisis. Advantage one. Advantage two is this, that singles have fewer difficulties on a personal level. Now, I know what you're going to say. You say, I'm single, and you have no idea what kind of stress or what kind of difficulty on a personal level I experience. And I'm not saying that if you're single, it's all a bowl of cherries, okay? I understand that. But look at what verse 28 at the, the second part of that chapter or verse says. It says that, but those who marry will face, it doesn't say might face, will face many troubles in this life. And I want to spare you of this. Now, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands of those that are married if this verse has become true in your life. But what we see here is, and what I believe is that it's hard enough to live as a sinner with your own self, right? Let alone you put two sinners together living under the same roof. Two people married equals two wills, two personalities, two temperaments. And whether it's squeezing the toothpaste one way or another, or how you handle, tooth, or handle, uh, handle money, you add kids in the mix, how to raise your kids. Church, I'm a living example <laughs> <laughs> that those who marry will face some trouble, okay? And it's just the truth. And if you're married, you can kind of smile at this, and it is true. There will be trouble. The point is, as a single, there's not as many potential problems in regards to relationship. A friend of mine, I was studying downtown Grand Haven on Friday afternoon. Uh, it was a gorgeous day, and I found a place where, in the shade, and I was uh, going through my message, and he walked by, and he's a single guy, and he's got four kids. He's visited here on a few occasions, um, but he's got next year, he'll have one in elementary school, one in the intermediate school at White Pines, one at Lakeshore, and then he'll have a freshman at the high school. And this guy's single. And I was sharing with him about this point, and I was working on this. And he says, you know, 75% of the time, I agree that it's easier to live as single. But he says, but he said, you can't preach this message without acknowledging that, boy, for those that are married, that may have kids, that are divorced, he says, it is tough. You long for that companion. The two together are make better. And he said, you can't discount all of that uh, in this, you know, even though this text doesn't acknowledge that. And so I said, all right, I'm going to add that in my notes. And so, and so that's true. It's very true. All right, so there's some advantages. The third advantage, and really I think is the main point of this text, is that singles have fewer distractions in spiritual matters. Let's look at this. In verse 29, it says, what I mean, brothers, is that the time is short. We'll pause right there. Um, Paul believed that there was an urgency. Um, in uh, there, there, were, there was a lot of persecution. He believed that the Lord was going to return soon. He believed that the Lord was going to return in his lifetime. And Paul is saying to singles here, and really to everyone, that everything in life should be secondary to our walk with Christ. That's the point he's trying to get across. And we see that in verse 29b through 31. Let me read it. It says this, From now on, those who have wives should live as if they had none. And I'll explain that in a second. 
Those who mourn as if they did not. Those who are happy as if they were not. Those who buy something as if it was not theirs to keep. Those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed in them. For this world in its present form is passing away. Again, there was persecution. Paul believed that the Lord was going to return in his lifetime. And he's saying, look, because of all of this, the most important thing is your walk with the Lord. So if you're married, live for the Lord in your marriage. Not to pretend not to be married. That's not what Paul is saying. And some people would take that out of context and and run with it. No. But marriage should have God at the center. Amen? That your love for God should be greater than your love for your spouse. Also, if life were to bring you sadness, live beyond that. Don't be bound by that. If life were to bring joy, don't be obsessed with it. And if you're blessed with stuff, which we all like stuff, remember that that stuff is going to pass away. It will not last forever. And why would Paul say all this? Because he's saying, look, the end is coming. The bottom line here is that it's easier for a single to be totally devoted to the Lord. And we see that in verses 32 through 34. What we see here is that he uses the word concern, which means to be divided in mind, uh, talking about worldly desires versus godly desires. He, He does three times in 32, one time in 33, and two times in verse 34. So six times in three verses, he uses this word concern. Let's read it. It says, I would like you to be free from concern. He doesn't want your mind to be divided. He doesn't want your, 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 uh, there to be anxiety. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affair, how he can please the Lord. And that's true. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife. And his interests are divided. That's that word divided, the concern, divided. An unmarried woman or a virgin is concerned about the Lord's affair. Her aim is devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But the married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband, which is absolutely appropriate. But what Paul's saying here is that if you're single, there are less distractions in regards to the call of God on your life. You can travel lighter. The goal is to be in love with God, to be free from anxiety, whether single or married. But if you're married, there are distractions, divided attention for your time, your attention, your energy, your different tasks in life. But if single, it's easier to devote the concerns of the world, the things to give these concerns over to the Lord. It's that simple. And then there's a huge advantage in verse 35. He says, I am saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. The point is, is that God wants you to live, whether you're married or single, uh, Christians and husbands and wives, they can encourage one another. They can enhance each other's devotion to the Lord. But as a single, there's something about that to eliminate those distractions that is beneficial, that is profitable. That word good, that word talus, back in verse 1, applies right here. Verse 36, let's continue. 
If anyone thinks he is acting improperly toward a virgin he, that he is engaged to, and if she is getting along in years and he feels ought to, he ought to marry, he should do as he wants. He is not sinning. They should get married. So Paul continues here. He's speaking at this point probably to another specific question in regards to those that are engaged to be married. Uh, and people are saying, look, you know, a dad is saying, look, my daughter's engaged. We've given our blessing, but maybe it's best that they don't get married. He's saying, no, look, if there's, uh, if, if there's a passion to do so, if the passion is strong, if it would cause undue strain, if abstinence would cause strain beyond a reasonable limit, he's saying, go for it. Get married unless your calling is different. And that's where we see verse 37 come in play. But the man who has settled the matter in his own mind, who is under no compulsion, but has uh, that is control over his own will, and who has made up in his mind not to marry the virgin, this man also does the right thing. Remember in that culture that celibacy was kind of the way that they're promoting Singleness had a high value, and they believed that there was a, a spiritual um, high that came from being single or from abstaining from sexual relations. And Paul may agree at some level that, yes, there's benefits to being single, but better to remain single, uh, uh, but, not, but he doesn't believe that on moral grounds or spiritual grounds. He says there's four things right there that we, that we read. If you've settled the matter in your own heart, number one, if there's no compulsion to get married, if you have control over your will and you've made up your own mind, then you embrace singleness. Paul does not see singleness as a better way of life he just, I believe, sees it as an easier way, an easier way to serve the Lord. And then he concludes his thoughts in verse 38, and uh, we're tracking along good here. Uh, he says, So then, he who marries the virgin does right, but he who does not marry her does even better. And again, we see this because of the, he says, not because of cultural uh, pressure, but he says there are less distractions in spiritual matter. In light of the distress, the crisis that they're facing, the difficulties at hand, you say, well, what kind of difficulties did Paul have? Well, in the short, very shortly, Paul would be thrown into prison. He was going to be beaten and abused. And at the end of his life, he ended up giving his life for the Lord for the sake of the gospel. Paul's saying, look, in light of all of this, for me personally and for, for you, he's saying, stay as you are, and if you're single, embrace that and serve the Lord wholeheartedly. Listen to the call of God on your life and let God work in your life in those ways. Verse 39 says, A woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes, but he must belong to the Lord. Now, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, and uh, there's provision, but the important thing is there is that if you are pursuing marriage at any level, whether you're a high school uh, or a college student seeking marriage, or if you are uh, a young adult or an older adult, the key is you must, you must, you must date or court 
a believer, someone that you can be equally yoked with. And so it's kind of reiterating that you must belong to the Lord. But then in verse 40, you see a little of Paul's sarcasm here. But he says, in my judgment, she's happier to stay as she is. And I think that I, too, have the spirit of God. And uh, he's really countering uh, a whole the whole idea of man's wisdom versus God's wisdom and uh, that goes back to the early stages in 1 Corinthians. Um, but the, the idea here is that there are different gifts for different believers. And God, He wants you to be able to take His Word and to be able to apply it, to understand it fully in your context. Now, there, I believe there are three takeaways um, that I want to uh, talk about here for a moment. Three takeaways in regards to being single. And again, I know we have many singles here, young and old, some in high school, college, some that are, uh, that are uh, older, maybe widowed, maybe retired, or not retired, but maybe uh, your, your husband or wife have, have passed. And uh, I believe that these takeaways and that this scripture really speaks to, um, to singleness uh, in any of those forms. And I believe there are three things. The first one is this, and this is for our singles among us, that My encouragement is that you would rejoice in your singleness. That you would rejoice in it. I know singles that absolutely hate it. They're frustrated. They feel lonely. They have this longing for companionship. Uh, Instead of uh, uh, being miserable embrace your singleness, rejoice in it, it, rejoice that there is less distraction. And my encouragement is to enjoy the time of your life that you are single and grow as close to God as you possibly can. Because I promise you this, that if there is a desire to be married or to be remarried or uh, to, to be in relationship, Your desire for God as it grows will be more attractive to another believing man or woman. And I believe that two individuals that are single, that are seeking the Lord with all their heart, with all their soul, with all their mind, I believe God can bring them together better than if they weren't seeking the Lord. Amen? Amen. The second thing is this. Not only do you need to rejoice, but you need to refocus. Refocus from looking for a mate and being preoccupied and, and uh, getting online and looking and, and, uh, and uh, you know, being obsessed with, okay, I've got to find someone, I've got to be with someone. Refocus from building maybe uh, your life or whatever the case might be, a business or friendships or all those things, and be fully devoted to God to be fulfilled in Him to refocus, to say, you know what? Nothing else matters. And it really comes back to that growing close with God as a single. And the third thing is that we're going to rejoice, we're going to refocus, but also my encouragement, and I believe it's, it's found in Scripture, is to rest in the Lord and in His plan for you. And if you want to be married, that's fine, but rest Rest in God's plan for your life and in the season that you're in. And what this really speaks to is this whole idea of our will versus God's will for our lives. 
And so many times we allow our will to get in the way of what God wants for our lives. Sometimes God has a different plan for us than we think if we were left to choose for ourselves. I was thinking about that this week, and I, was, and I remember back when God first really put it on my heart that I was going to be called to ministry and to serve and to be a pastor. And I thought, man, if I have to speak in front of people, I am in huge trouble. And I, I've told you the story, if you've been through Connect 101, usually in the early introductions there, I, I tell the story that um, when I first uh, was called to ministry, someone said, well, you better take a speech class because you're going to be talking a lot. And I was petrified in my speech class. My last name starts with a V, and so I was at the end of the class, and uh, we were going by name, and we had to do an introduction and uh, you know, hit five different things. And by the time it came to me, I was dripping sweat, perspiring. I was so nervous. And, uh, and because of that, uh, I ended up doing okay in that class and got some good skills and ended up in college taking so many speech classes, I ended up getting a minor in speech. And... Uh, not that you could tell, but, uh, but anyway, but it, you know, my plan versus God's plan was different, and I needed to pursue God's plan and say, okay, Lord, you're calling me here. I need to be equipped in this area, and I believe that when we embrace God's will, no matter what that is, single, married, whatever, to be most fulfilled in life, you must be fully submitted to God's will. You need to be. You need to be completely sold out saying, God, there's nothing more important than my life pleasing you. Now, as I say that, there are some of you that are living completely contrary to that. And I believe God wants to to get a hold of your mind this morning and to say, okay, God, I surrender. I will give it all to you. As I was studying about singleness, there was a single lady, her name is Lillian Thrasher, that kind of emerged in some of my study. And I saw it in a couple places, and so I did a little research, and you could do the same, Lillian Thrasher. In fact, there's a picture of her here. Um, But what's interesting is back in the early 1900s, she was engaged to be married, but as she was approaching her wedding, she had been praying all of her young adult life She had prayed this, and this is a quote, Lord, if ever I can do anything for you, just let me know and I'll do it. Isn't that beautiful? And so she was praying, saying, God, whatever you have for me, I'll do it. And she was 10 days away from marrying a pastor, but God had called her to serve as a missionary. And the call of God was very clear And so in the month of June in 1910, she broke off the wedding. She said, all right, I can't do this. She had a heart for kids. And as a single woman, she flew to Africa, flew to Egypt. And for 51 years, she touched almost 10,000 kids came through her doors. And as I was reading, it was very interesting. Listen to what one person that was commentating on her life. It says, in January 1960, she began a new year, her 50th year in Egypt. So this is close to the end of her ministry. She remembered that as a young, happy girl in 1910, she had dreamed of being married 
and having 12 children of her own. She did not realize what her life was going to be like when she ended her engagement. Even though she loved the guy, she said goodbye to Tom, the young preacher who was to be her husband. She wanted to put God first. Now, 50 years later, as a gray-haired woman, the picture here that you see, she looked out of her window at that moment, and at that time, there were 1,200 orphans that she was ministering to, 1,200 children. This loving missionary, known as Mama Lillian, or Mother of the Nile, went on to be with the Lord on December 17, 1961. And as I read that, the thing that came up to my mind, and I couldn't get it off my mind, is that she fulfilled the call of God on her life. And it wasn't her plan, it was God's plan. And as I think about this morning, about our lives, each of our lives, married or single, but especially for singles here, there's a call of God in your life that you need to walk out step by step, a plan to be able to see God work in your life. And I just want to remind you that your plans are not always God's plans. And so if we can discern God's will and to follow that, we will be fulfilled. Amen? Amen. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes this morning. We're going to give opportunity here in just a moment to respond and just to really consider the Lord's will in our own lives, God's plan, God's call, being obedient to that. But before we do that, I believe that the Lord, uh, He may be speaking to some in regards to uh, just a relationship with Jesus. And if you're here this morning, you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, whether you're single or married, young or old, this morning, there's no reason that you should walk out of here without committing your life to Jesus. It would be the best decision that you could ever make. See, God's Word says that when you are uh, born into this world, you're born with a sin nature. All have sinned. All have fallen short of the glory of God. That means you, with your head bowed and eyes closed, that's you. And the Bible says that even one sin will disqualify you from spending an eternity with Jesus. But this morning, there's a way to find Jesus, to surrender, to confess your sins. The Bible says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I believe that God he desires to do that this morning in some of our lives. And so without, uh, without embarrassing anyone, if you're here this morning and you do know Jesus, you say, Pastor, I'm 100% confident. I want you just to raise your hand as a statement and just say, yep, I know Jesus as my personal Savior. Just lift your hand right where you are. Yeah, yeah. All right, you can put your hands down. If you were unable to raise your hand or maybe you raised your hand out of peer pressure because others were, whatever the case, and that uh, you are here the, today and you do not know Jesus and you want to surrender your life to him, I want to give you that opportunity. Would you just raise your hand? Again, I'm not going to embarrass you, but I want to pray with you. We've got some resources we want to get to you. Uh, would you just slip up your hand right where you are and say, yes, pray for me. Is there anyone in this service? saying, that's where I am today. 
I need Jesus to come into my life. Anyone at all? All right. All right, I don't see any hands. So this is what I'm going to ask. I want everyone to stand with me here just for a moment. And I know that this may be uncomfortable for some, but I'm going to ask that you just trust me in this process. If you are here this morning, young and old, and you are single, you're a single adult, single young adult, I just want you to come forward, and I want you just to kind of line the front here uh, here this morning. And uh, just come on out right where you are uh, right now. And I just want to address, and there's, there's quite a few of you here that I know, um, I, wa- I believe that this word is for, uh, for many of you to rest in your singleness, to rejoice, to refocus, and to keep God the, at, at the forefront. And now, uh, for those that feel led here in just a second, the um, married couples, I'm going to ask that you would come and to pray with some of these singles uh, here in just a moment. But we're just going to commit a few moments here to really consider God's call, God's will on our lives. And whether we're young or old, that, you know, that God has a plan and we want to walk in God's plan. Amen? And uh, as uh, young adults, uh, single adults, and then even married folks, that we want to walk in God's plan. And so uh, we're just going to spend some time prayer. I just want to pray for you. And uh, the elders or the board uh, can come and to, to pray, lay on hands with me. That would be wonderful. And other couples that feel led to do that, I'm going to encourage you to come. And we just want to spend some time uh, just praying in response to God's word about singleness in particular. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for all that you're doing. We thank you, God, that you have called us and you have a plan you have a purpose and god this morning lord we just commit our ways to you and lord we surrender to you in jesus name amen let's just take a few moments it's a place of prayer and let's before we before we take off and let's pray amen